So good morning, everyone. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andy Howell. And I'll be sharing with you from Daniel. We're back in the Daniel series, if you remember. We started, um, I think probably a month ago or so, we started the Daniel series. So my duty today is to look at Daniel 4. Um, but before we actually hit the, this scripture, I'm going to say this, this topic today is not going to be an easy one. It's overcoming a proud heart. And it's going to challenge you today, but within it, I hope you can see God speaking and you will see God's grace and know that God is a merciful God and there's no situation that you, you are in that is not redeemable through the blood of Jesus Christ. But I'm going to be asking you some challenging questions along the way. And I'm going to start with, I'm just going to ask you to, you just think about your, the past week, all the events of this past week. And beside that, I'm going to put a really strange question, ask you a strange question. In all those events, um, was God on your side? Just think about it for a moment. In all those events, all those decisions that you made this week, was God on your side? Was he for you or was he against you? And why do I ask that? It's a scripture. It's actually a scripture. It's not me making it up. It's actually um, in James 4, verse 6. It says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Familiar? Yes. So let me ask you, as you think about your events this week, every decision, everything that you did this week, were you in a position? Were you in a position where God could bless you? Where God could make you successful? Or were you in a position where he had to actually oppose you? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it's so serious. It's a, it, you know, not just that he won't bless you. Um, not just that he won't be pleased with you, but that he actively oppose you. I told you it's going to be rough this morning. <laughs> it's going to be rough this morning, but there's grace in it. I've learned by now, you know, I've been around a long time. I may look youthful, but I've been around a long time. And I've learned that there are certain people in your life <laughs> that you don't want to be in opposition to you. And one of those people is God. You don't want God opposing you. And of course, in primary school, there was this guy. I picked a fight with a boy. He was twice my size, bigger than me. And after two weeks, I was still wondering, after that pounding that he gave me, I was wondering, why did I pick a fight with that boy? And you find people like that, you, you better friend, be friendly with them. 
because you don't want certain people in opposition to you. Um, in your workplace, there are certain people that you know if you challenge them, it's going to be, be an issue for you. So back to the subject. What characteristic is it? What attitude is it that God opposes? Anybody know the answer? Pride. So, if God opposes the proud, and God is against pride, it begs the question, how are we doing in this area? So, if, if, if we had a meter, a measurement, um, I call it a pride meter That's my, nothing like that exists. <laughs> I just made that one up. A pride meter to measure, you know, it's probably pointing between humility and being proud. Where would you, where would the needle, you know, go? If you, you should measure yourself personally in that area. Forget that speed of me. Forget that um, pride meter. It doesn't exist. Let's, let's go to someone more familiar. How about your relative? What would they say? Your wife, your husband, your co-worker, your children. What would they say about you? Think about how, how, how do you treat the last experience you had at the restaurant. How did you treat that waitress? Did you look down on them? I told you it's going to be rough. How did, you, how did you treat that waitress? That last supermarket shopping you did, what was your attitude like at the till? What's, it, what's your attitude like towards the authority in your life? Because we do all have authority in our lives. We do have people who we report to, whether or not we like it. But as a Christian, what's your attitude like in your workplace? Um, so considering those examples that I've, I've given you, you know, Maria, you're answering. That's unlike you, Maria. Graceful in that situation. Yes. Amen. God is going to surely bless you. Yes. Amen. So, thinking about that question, what would most of us say about your dealings with pride? Probably most of you would say, you know, we've got some work to do in this area. And that would be the right answer. But then some of us could take the, the, the 
opposite position and say, well, you know, I've totally overcome pride. I've got no problem in, with pride. But can I just stop you? That statement in itself is proud. You agree? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. But God's word has amazing guidance in this area. In the interest of time, we'll be reading Daniel 4, verse, from verse 1 to 3, and then I'll skip over to 13 to 37. So we'll skip over the verses where Nebuchadnezzar is speaking in the first person. So you can turn in your Bibles, or I think it should come up on the screen. He's speaking in the first person and narrating back the first part of his second dream, which was basically a very terrible dream. It's not like a dream that my daughter had this, this week, where she actually said she, she heard the seven trumpet blowing, if I can remember. And I was like, wow, that's a bit advanced for an 11-year-old. <laughs> she heard the seven trumpet blowing. And she encountered, she, she believed she encountered Jesus. And Jesus said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I was like, wow. Wow. That's a reminder. Jesus is just coming to remind you, my dear, that he loves you. And he wants you to be, remain, remain faithful. Because she, she burst out in tears and she was a bit apprehensive about it. But I had to console her. It's, it's a good dream, not a bad dream. But it was unlike Daniel's, um, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He had a terrible dream. And in that vision, there was this great tree. All the birds and animals were you know, nourished and they were um, flourished by this tree. This tree was offering good. And then this angelic being, it came and had the tree cut down. And then Nebuchadnezzar, he asked all the magicians and all the wise men to come and interpret this dream for him because he wanted an interpretation of what was happening in the dream. So I'll read the, the scripture for you. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruits. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of heaven and gives it to whom he will and sets it over it, over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation. Because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. 
Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. And that's a key point there, if you just want to underline that in your Bible. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and in which was food for all, under which beast, the beast of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down a tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its root in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze. Underline that as well. In the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast of the field, till seven periods of time passes over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be, perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, underline that as well, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty, underline that as well. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. 
and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. Yes, I'm going to tell you to underline that as well. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And here we hit the nail on the head. I mean, the verses today, it speak about this, this great tree. And the angelic watcher had cut down this tree. And the question is, why? <laughs> what did the tree do? Why would you cut down the tree? You know, if the tree was, was blessing, was being a blessing um, to, to the birds, it's a blessing to the community, why would you um, cut down the tree? But Nebuchadnezzar told us in verse 30, Verse 30, that very night, let me get the card. So, and the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? And then you wonder what was wrong with that statement? He was boasting about great Babylon. And yes, you wonder, what's wrong with that? It's what, what was wrong with this statement is what Nebuchadnezzar thought about himself and what he said about himself and what he thought about the purpose of having this majestic kingdom. Is not this great Babylon that I built with my mighty power. And that word, that word my, you have to be very careful of that word. That's pride. That's exaltation of self. That's the promotion of self. And at the same time, as he's saying it, there's, a, there's this de-emphasis of God. Nothing to do with God. You know, he was taking all the credit for himself. It de-emphasized God and others. That's pride. And then you, the question is, why did Nebuchadnezzar not give God praise and glory for the ability that he had you know, to do this? Even though he was warned on previous occasions, many times he was warned, but he still allowed himself to be lifted up with pride by that very statement. Another way of saying this is that Nebuchadnezzar had a wrong view of God. He had a wrong view of himself and a wrong view of others. I'll say that again. He had a wrong view of God, wrong view of himself, and a wrong view of others. And pride involved all of these three. But thankfully, biblical Christianity presents compelling answers to those issues. Right? So he didn't just leave us hanging without answers to it. First, we've got to realize who God is. Who is God? He's sovereign. He's powerful. 
He's the creator of the universe. He's holy and he's righteous. He's a king and he's a good shepherd. And then we go down one step further. You ask, who is man? We are part of God's creation. We are what? Part of God's creation. We do serve a very unique part of creation. We were created to subdue creation and bring God glory. We were made in his image to subdue creation and to bring God's glory. And I think these statements, it clears up a lot. You, essentially, we're saying we're not God. But at the same time, we're not laboratory rat either. You know? We're not God. And at the same time, we're not trees. We're not just there as an object. So at the end of the day, when we wake up and you find yourself able to use your hands to accomplish anything, to do anything. You can use your mind to think. You can use your mind to, to invent things. At the end of the day, what we're saying, you should turn around and say to God, I give you the glory. I'm going to give you the glory because you gave me the ability to achieve this thing, that which I'm able to do. There's nothing wrong with excellence. There's nothing wrong with pursuing excellence. There's nothing wrong with pursuing greatness. We're not saying that. But when God gives you, and when you're in that position where you've been blessed, and God has put you in a position of, of, of influence, you should just turn to God and say thank you. Because you're the one who gave me the ability. You're the one who puts me in this position. So, understanding who God is and who we are puts us a long way down the road of overcoming pride. So those things are critical. And the same is true when we think about the issue of other people. We've got to think about other people. We've got to know that people aren't something to be used. People aren't meant to be used. They are human beings made in God's image and they're meant to be loved. And Nebuchadnezzar, he had no clue, because he was constantly using, using people. If you remember, he went to Babylon to get um, the Israelites as, as, as slaves to be used for his purposes. So other people aren't meant to be used. So you ask yourself, What's the question here? Who can I serve? Not who can serve me. That's the, that's the question. Or how can, it's not how can someone else serve me? So worldly pride, we look at it. It seeks to, what, de-emphasize God. It elevates self and use other people. So we have to be on the lookout for that. On the other hand, biblical humility, it seeks to honor God. It takes the attention off yourself. You love and you serve, you serve others. Even though we see Nebuchadnezzar, he was warned so many times over and over. In the final 
analysis, he failed to rid himself of this sinful disease of pride. And he had to pay the consequences for it. So you and I must be on the lookout for pride. That's basically it. Once we get these three relationships right, our relationship to God, our relationship, what we think about ourselves, and what we, how we think about others, then we're on the right track. So the second principle that flows out of this, we must understand the consequences of pride. There is a consequence to pride. And many people in our world would probably sharply dis disagree with what we're saying this morning. But scripture is very clear in, in the view on this topic on pride. What we're talking about here is clearly the emphasis of the Old Testament in this particular passage. But by the time of Jesus, many had rejected the Old Testament view and they had turned totally in around on the topic of pride. The Greek world regarded pride actually as a virtue. Um, and humility was despicable, you know. And so that's why when we search the New Testament, it's significant that the New Testament has sided with the Old Testament. And the, the writers of the, the New Testament, they uniformly sided with the Old Testament. So you see this consistency in the, in the scripture. If you think about Mary's Magnificat, she says, God scatters those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart, in Luke 1, verse 51. Also significant, Jesus presented himself as gentle and lowly in heart, according to Matthew 1, sorry, Matthew 11, verse 29. And when Jesus described a list of evil things that proceed from the heart, one of the things on the list is pride, and we find that in Mark 7. The point is that many in the world would say, you know, there's no consequences for pride. You don't need to work on this area. In fact, pride is a virtue to cultivate. And then I wonder, after reading this, what would Nebuchadnezzar think? What would he say? If he had a vote on this, what would he say? I believe he would say the consequences are great. The consequences are great. Because what you saw, pride took him from this elevated position, you know, to like an animal-like existence. You look at the progression in verse 33. He was driven from among men. He ate like an ox. His body was wet with dew. That's an awful scene. Hair grew like eagle's feathers. Fingernails were like bird claws. We're describing a human being here. And many people believed he had to actually be kept in some sort of cage, which explains part of the vision that, that prophesied that the tree cut down and the stump would remain. And the, the stump would be enclosed with a band of iron. And you try to imagine this picture in your mind. One minute he's this successful king sharp mind because he was able to invent all or do all these building works. One of the, um, the things that he invented or, or built was the, the hanging garden. It was one of the beautiful gardens of Babylon. But the thing is he had a proud heart. And then according to the text, the moment those proud words 
came out of um, his mouth. It's probably similar to what happened to Ananias and Sapphira. As soon as those evil words came out of their mouth, they were met with consequences. So there are consequences for pride. And he faced the consequences for this sin. He looked like an animal. If you see the de-escalation from this king to an animal. So, yes, we had a group of people who visited Pentelville Prison, which is admirable. Um, and I'm so happy for you guys who really took the time out to you know, go and visit those in prison. And this cage-like situation um, that Nebuchadnezzar faced has just triggered my mind. You know, I was reading in a 2021 justice report, and it states that UK has the third largest prison population. And um, the suicide rate in our jails was twice Europe average. Think about that. And it seems like we are quickly becoming a country with the highest percentage of citizens behind bar, almost similar to other countries. And often it follows this same progression we see in this text. This is the journey. A man or woman believes they can live their life on their own terms, with their own rules. They ignore the gift of salvation that's available through Jesus Christ. They ignore the truth of God's work and they, God's word and they just strike out on their own. And like the person of Psalm 10, verse 4, in the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And it's not long before what started out as an enjoyable pleasure, it now becomes a sinful habit. And that alcohol becoming harder and harder to control. And that temper becoming harder and harder to control. And those pleasures becoming harder and harder to control. And pretty soon, you see an animal-like existence appearing, stealing in order to survive, stealing in order to get the next drugs, or lying to one person in order to satisfy someone else. And you find their life, relationships are exploding, and life is just disintegrating. And you look in the mirror and, you, and the picture you see here is what somehow mirrors what, what has happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Had his freedom. Had his freedom. He had his freedom. But then eventually he ended up being in a cage. So truly I'm pleased that we have a team from Trinity going into the prison to expose the, the gospel to those in prison because they do need it. They need to know that there's hope. There, there's this team offering inside, offering the gift of salvation that's available through Jesus Christ, exposing them to the truth of God's word. And every evil that was spoken over them, let, letting them know that there's hope in Christ. But the same thing can happen to any of us. We don't literally have to be in a, a cage. We don't literally have to be, you know, be in prison. It could be when you were younger, your parents were trying to 
talk to you about something, but you just didn't listen. So pride causes us. It causes us to go against wise counsel. That's what pride does. And it puts us in trouble. It has one intention, to put us in trouble. So as a student, your grades may be getting low. Or as, as an adult, you're, you've got this addiction. You're addiction addicted to probably a sinful habit because of some wise counsel that was ignored. And it's the same thing with Nebuchadnezzar. He ignored all the wise counsel that was given him, even though he was warned. So I'm going to ask you, have you made the issue of overcoming pride the priority that it ought to be? Have you given this issue the kind of seriousness it needs, in part because of the consequences of not doing so? And if this was the end of the story, it would be pretty sad. But once again, we are reminded in this book of Daniel that God is a God of mercy. God will not allow us to be in any cage. God wants us to be free. And so we need to follow the solution for pride. Follow the solution. And it's found here in, in the scripture, in verse 34 and 35. We saw Nebuchadnezzar. He took steps to deal with the issue of pride in his life. One of the things he recognized, the place of man. All the, in verse 35, he says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. It's a marvelous thing to be made in God's image and to be given this purpose of representing him on earth. Subduing creation in submission to him. But many of us have trouble Remembering two things. One, there is a God. And two, we're not him. Yeah? And this passage is helping us to de-emphasize our importance in the process. We need to elevate God and elevate others. If you don't get anything from what I've said, we need to elevate God and elevate others. And then, as I'm closing, some of us would do well to take a particular idea that we've really held on to as absolute truth. What, it, what idea do, have we held on to over these years? Back up and say, what does God's word say about it? What does God's word say about it? Because God's word is true. God's word is true, and it's a word that will set us free. And I wonder if you might be here today and would need to follow the same course as Nebuchadnezzar did. Perhaps you've ignored what God's word says about some aspect of your life. You haven't honored him as the one whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. Perhaps you're operating in, that, in an area of being proud in opposition to the word of God. Whether you had to pay the consequences or not, would you be willing to say with Nebuchadnezzar, 
I want to bless the most high God. Honor him who lives forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. Has pride stopped you from obeying some aspect of the word of God? If so, are you willing to deal with that today? I'm going to ask um, Zoe and the band to just take the stage as we're going to sing that song they did earlier. Let all the other gods fade away. All other names fade away. And let the name of Jesus. And I wonder how many men and women have made pride stop them from coming to Christ. I'm too proud to say that I'm a singer. Not many of us want to say this in his prayer. Too proud to admit that I can't get to heaven on my own. Because many people think that they can get to heaven on their own. By their works. But it's by faith in Jesus Christ. It's not by works. Too proud to admit. You may be in here today and you're too proud to admit that you need a savior. Is that you? Too proud to bow your knees to Jesus Christ and say, you are Jesus Christ. You are my Lord. You are my savior. And I trust you. I've tried to do it on my own. I've tried to do it in my own terms. I've tried to do it my own ways. And I've found myself. There's a, there's a blockage. I cannot make progress. There's, a, there's this constant obstacle. Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my mind, the abilities that you've, you've given to me. I say thank you. I now turn and give you the glory. Because every, anything I achieve tomorrow, anything I achieve next year, is not of my own doing. That's because of what you've gifted me. Let's just stand well. So he ministered the song. Amen.